You are listening to Episode 4 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 7, Diurnia Orbital, 2358, July 6th. Morning found me on the docks. I had my grav trunk trundling along behind and the receipt for my hotel stay in my folio. I was looking for Dock 9, the slot my tablet told me held the William Tinker, my new home in the deep dark. I passed Dock 7, the telltale said Joe Alice Long. I knew it wasn't going to be the Lois. I knew that. I'd been on lots of ships since the Lois. They were all different. My summer cruises had given me the opportunity to work on four different ships, and each had seemed okay. Of course, none were ever more than just a temporary billet. There was no real reason to put down roots, to form bonds and connections. Dock 8 was empty. I could see Dock 9 around the curve of the orbital side. I paused and wiped my hands on my pants and took a couple of deep breaths. I used the reflection on the empty lock's view panel to make sure my cap was straight and checked my uniform for unbuttoned buttons and correct gig line on shirt, slacks, and buckle. Third mate, I told myself. You're not the captain, and what you don't know about being a third mate would fill a 75-ton container. You're here to learn and to hold up your end. You can do it. The academy prep was actually reputed to be quite good. I knew I didn't know a lot, but I also knew that third mates were the bottom rung. I expected to get stuck with the same kinds of jobs that my old training officer, Leland von Nichols, did so well. As I gathered my nerve and marched along the dock, I held a picture of him in my mind. I walked up to the gangway, pressed the call button, and looked up at the dock monitor so the watchstander could get a good look at my face, not just the top of my hat. After a tick, the speaker beside the lock crackled. Yeah, can I help you? A man's voice asked. Third mate Ishmael Huang reporting for duty, I said, a little off balance. Normal brow procedure would be to at least walk out and greet the caller. They couldn't have been surprised. It's not like they wouldn't have known I was coming. The pause stretched out. I wasn't sure the watchstander had even heard me. I kept my face carefully neutral. I didn't want to start out on the wrong foot with the crew, and I certainly didn't know the ship's rules. For all I knew, he was following standard procedure. It struck me as rude, but I was the stranger on the dock, and I needed to keep that in mind. My hand found the dolphin-shaped Welkie in my jacket pocket, and my thumb stroked the smooth, oiled wood. I found it calming. I'd been carrying that small bit of wooden shell for Staniers, ever since St. Cloud. I viewed it as a kind of talisman, a good luck charm, and it was pretty. I wasn't sure if I believed that it was imbued with magical powers by a South Coast shaman or not. It was just soothing to have around. After nearly three ticks, the small personnel lock began cycling upwards, and I stepped back to give it a bit of room. An able spacer in a greasy-looking shipsuit with a stain across the left arm stood at the head of the brow with his hand on the mechanism. "'You the new third? he asked bluntly, and without preamble or salute. "'Yes,' I said." eyeing the man and wondering what kind of ship I'd signed up for. He leaned out and looked up and down the docks, almost suspiciously. It was as if he were looking for my confederates who would jump out and hijack the airlock once it was fully opened, satisfied that I wasn't the leading edge of a takeover force, or whatever it was he was looking for. He stepped back, 
and invited me aboard with a nod of his head. I stepped into the lock, making sure my grav trunk made it over the threshold, and I got my first smell of the ship. Now, to be sure, every ship has its own unique bouquet. My nose was not terribly sensitive, and several months working in the damp green dankness of environmental broke me of any squeamishness I might have had. In my summer cruise experiences, I found that each ship's aroma had a specific kind of smell to it. Some were chemical, as if the crew liked the smell of disinfectants and cleaning solutions. Some were organic, a mixture of cooking and people. Some were mechanical. Some were electronic. I'd smelled them all and found none of them to be really offensive until I smelled the tinker. It was a meaty smell that I would have thought the scrubbers should have handled. The spacer secured the lock. He still hadn't introduced himself, although I read his name tag, Betts. He turned to the watch station and settled back down on the stool behind the counter, frowning at the readouts there and ignoring me. I was about to ask him to notify the officer of the day when a woman's voice rang out from the passage heading into the ship. "'Welcome aboard, Mr. Huang,' she said, and she loomed out of the dimness. She was a solidly built woman with a typical spacer-cropped haircut and wearing a ship suit with DST's star and oval on the left breast, and her name, Novea, embroidered above it. She smiled as she came up to me and held out a hand. "'You're our new third. Her hand was smooth, firm, and strong. She didn't try any of the power-move handshakes on me, but there was little doubt in my mind that this woman could open a jar of pickles without any help or second thoughts. I filed that information away in case I needed a jar of pickles opened. She smiled at me, and I realized that we were probably within two centimeters of the same height. She had a nice smile and clear brown eyes. Yes, I said, fresh from the academy, straight to your wardroom. She smirked and gave me a little chuckle. Sense of humor. Good. That'll be handy, she said. Arletta Novea, second mate, astrogation. She let go of my hand then, and I think we were both a bit surprised that she'd still held it. Let's get you settled in. We went through the ritual of establishing my crew record in mass lading. As third mate, I had a lot more mass allotted than I'd had as a quarter-share crewman, but every kilogram had to be accounted for. I was well under my 200-kilogram limit. She led me up to officer's country and showed me to a small stateroom. It was almost identical to the small stateroom I'd had on the Ellis coming in. I was glad to see I'd have the room to myself. On some of the older ships in particular, the junior officers were expected to double up on staterooms. I had a feeling I'd be relishing my sanctuary. Don't look so relieved, Ms. Novea said quietly. You only think this is a sanctuary. She caught me flat-footed on that one. My snappy rejoinder consisted of, What? She smiled pleasantly. It was pretty obvious. I just looked at her, and some of the sinking feeling in my stomach must have been showing on my face. She snorted, but she was still smiling pleasantly. The head is through there, and you do need to share that with me, so pay attention and knock first, please. She looked at me a little sharply at that. I shrugged. Of course. You say that now, she warned. But let's not have any accidents after we've been underway a while, okay? I held up my hands, palm out. You got it. I'm not that kind of guy. I protested, keeping my tone light while trying, again, not to wonder what kind of ship I'd gotten on. Wong, you're a guy. They're all that kind, she said. But then she changed the subject. Have you got your tablet? I slipped it from the holster and fired it up. She walked me through the sink up into ship net, 
and used her second mate credentials to enable the officer-level access on my record on the net. When it was done, she said again, Welcome aboard. It's all over but meeting everybody. I'm the OD, and we're standing 12 and 12 in port, so David will be relieving me at noon. I suspect he'll want to get you into rotation as soon as possible, so be ready for him to assign you to his section immediately. You'll probably do two watches with him and then stand them on your own for the last day in port. We're due to leave for break-all on the 8th, assuming they have a container ready for us. When will I meet the captain? I asked. She shrugged. He's ashore. He'll probably stay ashore until we get underway. I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't meet him until after navigation stations. I looked at her dubiously. Really? Wang, she said. I don't know where you've served before this, but DST is a small, locally-run company. The captain's wife lives here. When we're in port, he goes down to visit with her for a few days before we get underway again. It's up to us to get the ship unloaded, reloaded, and ready to go. I must have still looked dubious, but she gave me a look that said, He's the captain. What are you going to do? I didn't find it terribly reassuring, but I've been aboard less than half a stan. You'll find what you need to know about the ship, including the layout, on your tablet. Twer me, I'd start exploring to make sure I could find everything. Like the bridge, she grinned. With that, she slipped out past my trunk and headed off down the passage. I'm on until noon, she called back over her shoulder. Expect a call from David around 11.30. If you get lost, bip me. I'll be in the ship's office. In a tick, I was alone again. I stood there, listening to the ship, breathing shallowly and trying to ignore the smell. After a moment or two of staring dumbly, I slid the grav trunk into the closet, flipped the lid open, and started hanging my uniforms from the closet rod. A set of drawers in the closet provided room for socks, underwear, and other small clothes. I left my generic ship suits in the bottom of the trunk and closed and locked it. I double-checked to make sure that the grav pallet had locked to the deck. I didn't want that sailing through the air in the event of a gravity failure. I settled at the pull-down desk and started reviewing the deck plans on my tablet. I had almost two stands before I could expect to hear from the first mate. I intended to use the time wisely. The layout seemed pretty straightforward. There really were a finite number of ways that the massive solar clippers could be configured. The unique cargo container designed for the Barbell class of hull created an interesting collection of ship spaces, and I was anxious to take a look at the environmental section, because the smell was getting to me. Chapter 8 Diurnia Orbital, 2358, July 6th Figuring to beat the summons, I reported to the ship's office at 11.30. The door was open and Ms. Novea was there with what looked like an astrogation update running. She glanced up as I tapped on the doorframe. Well, you found your way here, okay, she said. I was looking for the mess deck, I told her. Oh, that's back down the passage. Then she saw the grin on my face and realized it for a joke. Oh, so that's the way you are, she said with a smirk. I shrugged. I'd like to try. Well, just remember, she scolded, there's no second chance to make a first impression. Her mock scowl told me a lot about her. I could feel the knot unwinding a little in my gut. I tried to look contrite, but it wasn't my strong suit. So, have you managed to find your way around? she asked. I stepped into the office and sat at one of the side chairs. I've been the length of the spine, stuck my head into the mess deck, and found my way to the bridge. The gym doesn't look like it gets much use, I added. I figured it was too soon for me to say much more about what I thought of those spaces, being the new guy aboard and all. 
Wow, you've had the tour, she commented. Did you see anything interesting? The question was light and carefully neutral in tone. Not casually light and neutral, but a very studied tone. She was looking at me flat on with one eyebrow arched. Just as carefully, I answered very lightly. Oh, a little of this, a little of that. I'll need a little more time to find the really interesting things, I'm sure. The corners of her mouth twitched upward just slightly, and the tension in her eyebrows relaxed. Apparently, I just passed a test. A skinny spacer apprentice in a grimy ship suit exploded into the office and skidded to a halt. Above her pocket was the name Nart. She started to say something to Ms. Novea, but caught sight of me sitting there and gawped as if in total surprise. You're the new third, she blurted without preamble or apparent thought, adding Sar as a much belated afterthought. I am, I replied gently. Ishmael Huang, I said, and held out my hand. Nart looked at the hand, glanced at Ms. Novea, and then looked at my face. I'm not sure what she was looking for, but she eventually took my offered hand and gave it a quick shake, pulling back quickly. Nice to meet you. Nart, is it? I prompted. Oh, yes, sir, she recovered enough to blurt. Ula Nart. Ms. Novea apparently took a little pity on the girl and informed me, Ms. Nart is my messenger of the watch. Turning to the spacer, she asked, And do you have a message for me? Oh, yes, sir she said again. She focused her eyes inward and struggled to remember what it was. Finally, she said, Mr. Burnside sends his compliments, sir, and will relieve you as soon as he's changed into a ship suit. Ms. Novia smiled gently. Thank you, Ulla. Would you find Mr. Opones and be ready to relieve the watch, please? Aye, sir, she said, and dashed out of the office. Comment, Mr. Wong? Ms. Novia asked. She must have seen the bemused expression on my face. I held up my hand to show the streak of something that the handshake had left across my palm. Hygiene is not a high priority with the crew, I asked. And you can call me Ish, I added. I'm Arletta, she said. It's hard to get him to deal with it. You'll see, she added with a little shrug. I nodded slowly and tried to keep my face neutral. Something was definitely rotten in the state of Hallmark, as my mother would have said. So what do I need to look out for, I asked her. What do you mean? she asked innocently. I glanced out the door once in an exaggerated show of conspiratorial concern. Oh, you know, every ship has its problems. The troublesome apprentice spacer, the sticky hatch. I looked at her and my joking tone choked off as I saw the look on her face. Very precisely and with more heat than I would have expected, she carefully replied, They're a good crew, Mr. Wong. They deserve our respect and support. Her statement was interrupted by a voice from the doorway. I turned to see a broad-shouldered man in a ship suit looming at the doorframe. The first mate Pips on his collar told me even before I saw the name Burnside on his chest. Arletta's face was suddenly very professionally bland. Exactly. Respect and support. She stood from her station and I followed her lead. David, this is Ishmael Huang. He's our new third. I wasn't sure what was happening, but I held out my hand without thinking. Mr. Burnside, I said. He looked at the dirty hand and pointedly did not shake it. Mr. Huang, he replied, welcome aboard. I remembered the encounter with Nart and pulled my hand back. Oh, sorry about that. I just met one of the crew and haven't had a chance to deal with it yet. Arletta reached into a drawer and handed me a box of sandy wipes. Sorry, she murmured. Mr. Burnside merely grunted and turned to Arletta. Okay, Han, what's the scoop? 
I was glad that Mr. Burnside wasn't paying any attention to me because the blatant informality of that hun took me aback for just a heartbeat. The rituals of watchstanding were well documented and engraved in the souls of spacers. Referring to any watchstander as hun, while in the process of relieving the watch was an appalling breach of etiquette. Ship status nominal. Refueling completed and stores are due for delivery in the morning. Home office reports that the can for break-off will be ready for us on the 8th and will be getting underway on time. Mr. Huang reported for duty at 0900, and his system's credentials and mass limits have been enabled. How are the astrogation updates coming? he asked. Almost done. I should have them completed by this time tomorrow, she answered. I started to say something about automated updates, but thought better of it. Mr. Burnside nodded. Okay, clear out. I'll see you at midnight. He picked up the ship's phone. Make the announcement, he said brusquely. Log it at 11.45. He hung up without waiting for a reply. I blinked at the ship's chrono, at the numbers 12.05, and noticed Mr. Burnside looking at me with a and you want to make a comment expression on his face. I shut my mouth and kept it carefully closed. The overhead speaker pinged once, and a man's voice said, Now hear this. First section has the watch. First section has the watch. Arletta logged herself off the workstation, grabbed her tablet and coffee cup, and stepped aside so Mr. Burnside could take the chair. She crossed the office and was about to step into the passage when a beefy rating, who looked a lot older than the normal spacer apprentice, stepped into the doorframe and stood there blocking the passage. Arletta stopped and waited, a sardonic grimace on her face while her back was to Mr. Burnside. "'Thank you, opponent,' Mr. Burnside said. Please check the status of the brow watch and bring me a coffee on your way back. His words were marginally businesslike, but his attitude was highly dismissive. The man rumbled a brief, I saw, and removed himself from the door. Arletta stepped quickly out of the office and turned in the opposite direction toward officer country. It took me a tick to process the interaction. It looked, from where I was standing that Eponis purposely blocked Arletta's passage out of the office and then stood there until he was told to move. On her part, she hadn't seemed surprised by the maneuver. So, Ishmael, Mr. Burnside said in a blandly smooth tone. I turned to look at him. Mr. Burnside, I acknowledged, responding to his informal goad with a carefully prescribed formality. He stared at me for a moment. His expression held a certain amount of pity, or maybe it was a resignation. I couldn't be sure. Let me sum this up for you. You're fresh out of school, wet behind the ears, and way out of your depth. Keep your eyes open, your mouth shut, and try to learn to be an officer. What you learned at the academy is only an introduction, and now it's time for you to get off the playground and into the game. I don't care what you think. I don't want to know about your problems. Your job is not to bring me problems, but to solve the problems and bring me the solutions. That's going to be a problem for you, Wang, because you're too green to know what a problem is. But eventually, given enough time and incentive, here his eyes took on a menacing gleam, you'll eventually learn the difference between a solution and a problem. Do I make myself clear, Ishmael? Crystal clear, Mr. Burnside, I replied carefully. He was being deliberately provocative in his manner and his attitude. I resolved not to give him an edge to cut me with. I'd seen this alpha male attitude before, but didn't really understand it. Do you have any requirements for me during this watch? I asked, hoping that catering to his need for control would diffuse his animosity. 
What do you think you should do, Ish? He asked in return. He was still testing me. I considered my priorities for about four heartbeats before responding. I need to order some ship suits, get my systems and communications credentials established, familiarize myself with the system's configuration and backup procedures. I need to know more about the ship's layout and review the standing orders for import responsibilities for officer of the day. I'll need to review the procedures for getting underway, debarkation protocols, and standing orders for bridge watchstanders underway. I paused, considering that to be sufficient to the moment, and asked, Do you have any preferences as to which I should do first? Mr. Burnside stared at me balefully for about a half a tick, and then turned to his terminal without responding. A few keystrokes later, my tablet bipped, indicating a changed status, and I looked to see that he'd given me the system's access I needed to perform my system manager duties. You've inherited training, officer, so you'll be running the ratings exams and coordinating ship's drills. Please see the standing orders regarding those drills, and don't make the same mistakes your predecessors did. Required drills will be held during the day watch on the day before the required ratings exam period. I trust I don't need to tell you what those dates are. It was another challenge. I smiled pleasantly. I know them, and I'll be sure to check the relevant ship policies, I told him. Mr. Burnside grunted. Good. Now get busy, and if you have a question, my advice to you is try to find the answer for yourself before you waste my time with it. If you ask me a question that you could have answered from reading the standing orders, I'm going to be unhappy. That would fall under the general heading of not good. Do you copy? Roger that, I responded, using the formulaic response almost without thinking. Good, he grunted again, and turned to his monitor, dismissing me with his posture. I settled back down to the desk and ordered a set of ship suits in DST livery from the orbital's chandlery. As I expected, being the corporate home, the appropriate specifications were on file, and the order was completed in less than five ticks. Fulfillment was promised by the end of the watch, and I paid extra to have them delivered to the ship. I had a feeling I would need those extra minutes, and I certainly wanted those ship suits. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big Sea from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big Sea at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>